Right on, right on, right on. Right on radio. Right on radio. Good day to y'all. It's good to be back. Hopefully we're back. I think the last time we uh, chatted, it was uh, winter. And every time I did uh, one of these videos, it was uh, blizzarding out. Well, now we got rain and... Uh, but hey, it's a great day. It's always a great day, regardless of what happens to them. It's any day that we get to uh, wake up and serve Christ one more day and, and bring others to Christ is a good day. So if and if you want more information or you want to check out more of our messages or whatever, you can look up our church website at oaksofdrummond.com. That's Drummond, D-R-U-M-M-O-N-D, oaksofdrummond.com. Or you can get on my personal site at setusfree.org. Um, if you want more information, um, I do go out and evangelize and speak and pulpit fill and all that so you can get more information. And I also speak at school. So uh, if you have a school you think would benefit by uh, a message, um, and I understand that we can't speak about Christ there, but uh, get on my website. So anyway, today, uh, if you haven't noticed by uh, previous uh, videos, I am very into uh, disciple making and evangelizing and the church. I'm jealous of the church. I love the church. It's the bride of Christ. So today we're going to talk about disciples and discipleship and what exactly does it look like. Um, and I want to base it off one verse, Matthew 4.19. I'm going to read uh, the verse before it for context. So if you want to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, we'll start at verse 18. It said, while Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, this one small verse, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, really explains the whole process of the Christian life and the Christian walk. So I want to break this down and see just what being a Christian entails. So the first part of this verse is follow me. Who do we follow? Well, who's speaking here? Jesus. We follow Jesus Christ. We don't follow other pastors, and when that pastor leaves the church, you leave too and follow them. We don't follow what we learn in theology. We don't follow what our Bible commentary tells us. We don't follow our parents' teachings or what people teach you at school or what another Christian proclaims. You see, this was my problem. All my life, I followed other people and other religions looking for truth and illumination and purpose in life. And therein lies the problem. Why? Because there can only be one truth. All others are false. Right? One truth. Anything other than the truth is false. And Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Well, what's the truth? Well, Jesus answers that too. He says, I am the way, the truth, and life. We follow Jesus. You see, we all seek purpose in life. Everybody does. We seek purpose and fulfillment and satisfaction and reason and meaning, yet we always end up being unfulfilled. And guess what? There's a reason for that. Let's look at John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. And this is Jesus talking to the woman at the well. And he says to her, Jesus, everyone who drinks of this water, talking about the nasty, dirty cistern water in the well, will be thirsty again. But 
Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of living water welling up into eternal life. You see, we're always following temporary things for fulfillment in life, are we not? It's like uh, some of you might be a, a rider like me, love motorcycles. You might have got out at some point in your life, whether you're young or midlife crisis or whatever, and decided, I want to ride a bike. They look cool, or I love the people that hang out, you know, in that click, or whatever the reason is, you buy a motorcycle. And that bike does you good for a while. Pretty soon you're putting little doodads on it and bling and making it a little better. And maybe a couple of years down the road, you see a, a, a nicer bike in a lot somewhere. Or you go to a Harley shop and decide to buy a nice bike. And you, you, you purchase that thing and you have that for a couple of years. And pretty soon you're putting doodads and bling up on that thing and making it look better and nicer to you. And then you have that thing for five years or so, and you're riding along one day, and you look in someone's yard, and you see this beautiful Orange County chopper for sale sitting out in the yard. You're like, man, only if I only had that thing, everything would be good. I'd have what I want. You see where I'm going with this? And this is the way it is with everything in, in this life that this world has to offer you that's temporary. It will never satisfy. You always want bigger, better, faster, more bling, whatever on it. But what you get that you think will fulfill you and give you purpose will never do. Now, a disciple knows and follows Christ. Well, what does it look like to follow Jesus? What did Jesus mean when he said, take up your cross? So let me answer with and begin with what it doesn't mean. Because so many people interpret the cross as some burden they have to carry in their life. Whether it's a strained relationship or a bogus job or maybe they have cancer or some physical illness. And with self-pitying pride, they say, man, that's just my cross I have to carry. That kind of interpretation is not what Jesus meant when he said, take up your cross and follow me. When Jesus carried his cross up to Golgotha to be crucified, no one was thinking of the cross as symbolic as some burden he had to carry. To a person in the first century, the cross meant one thing and one thing only, death by the most painful and humiliating means human beings could develop at that time. And 2,000 years later, the Christian view of the cross is like a cherished symbol of atonement and forgiveness and grace and love. But in Jesus' day, man, that cross represented nothing but torturous death. And because the Romans forced convicted criminals to carry their own crosses to that place of crucifixion, bearing a cross meant carrying their own execution device while facing ridicule along the way to death. Man, therefore, take up your cross and follow me means being willing to die in order to follow Jesus Christ. And this is called dying to self. It's the death march of the Christian disciple who is figuratively sentenced to crucifixion over his decision to follow Jesus Christ. It's a call to absolute surrender. Man, after each time Jesus commanded cross-bearing, he said this. Let's look at Luke chapter 9, 24 and 25. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Although the call is tough, the reward is matchless. 
Wherever Jesus went, man, this guy drew crowds. And although these multitudes often followed him as Messiah, their view of who the Messiah really was and what he could do was often distorted. They thought Jesus Christ would usher in the restored kingdom. They believed that he would free him from the oppressive rule of the Roman captors. Even Christ's own inner circle of disciples thought the kingdom was coming soon, right? You can read that in Luke 19.11. And when Jesus began teaching that he was going to die at the hands of Jewish leaders and their Gentile overlords, guess what? His popularity sank. Many of the shocked followers rejected him. They weren't able to put to death their own ideas and their own plans and dreams and desires and exchange them for his. Now, we live in a postmodern world where even many of our own churches, especially those seeker-sensitive movements, are about catering to the people, worldly people, in order to get attendance rather than preaching the true word of God. They, they might even teach some biblical stuff, but they leave the essentials out. What are the essentials? Well, repentance, sin, hell, all that kind of stuff. They preach this feel-good gospel. And many, even when they evangelize and witness to other people, they give the wrong impression about what it means to follow Jesus and what the life of a Christian is really all about, right? <laughs> I mean, you'll hear them say things like, oh, just say this prayer and, and accept Jesus into your heart. He loves you no matter what. Oh, he will just bless your life and you'll live this wonderful life full of love and blessing, right? Sound familiar? Man, there's so many things wrong with that that are not in the least bit biblical. As a matter of fact, the only part of any of them kind of statements that's a fact is, yeah, Jesus loves us. When Jesus himself asked people to follow him, he didn't lie to them and tell them, hey, after you follow me, land, life is going to be great. As a matter of fact, man, if you're reading the same Bible I am, it's almost the total opposite. It's almost as if Jesus was trying to talk people out of following him, right? At the end of Luke 9, we see three men who approached Jesus, and they were seemingly pretty eager to follow him. And the first guy was like, hey, I'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus. And Jesus is like, man, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. In other words, Jesus told the man, you know what, we're going to be homeless on this journey. The second man wanted to go bury his father first. And Jesus said what? Go let the dead bury the dead. But for him, you need to proclaim the kingdom of God. Don't even go to your own dad's funeral. There's more important things to do. And then the third man, he wanted to say goodbye to his family. And Jesus said what? No. In reality... A relationship with Jesus Christ requires total, superior, and exclusive devotion. Total, superior, and exclusive devotion. But it doesn't end there. There's so many passages that speak of abandonment of the old and a total commitment to Jesus Christ. There's a passage about hating your father and your mother, even hating your own life. And then the real, real, oh, excuse me, the real awakening passage. Anyone who does not carry his own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Pick up an instrument of torture and death and follow him? Guess what? The list keeps going on. And this is where we face the critical reality that we do have to give up everything in order to follow Jesus. We do have to love him in a way that makes our closest relationships in this world look like hate. And there may come a time when he asks us to sell everything we have and give it to the poor. Many of us don't want to believe this. Man, Jesus wouldn't ask this of us. 
And this is where so many begin to redefine Christianity. We take this Bible, the Jesus of the Bible, and we twist him into a version that we're a whole lot more comfortable with. You show me one place in Scripture where Jesus or even the disciples taught that following Jesus was going to bring happiness, pleasure, or anything except affliction and trials and tribulations. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it can't be. Even in my own life, man, I am so blessed and happier ever in, in, in life. But I still go through stuff, man. Stuff can still be hard. I understand that though I have the Holy Spirit to comfort and guide me through life and a God whose problem-solving abilities is a whole lot greater than my problems, man. Did you hear what Jesus said when he told the rich man to give up all his possessions and give them to the poor? Listen to the second half of the verse here. He says, go, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have what? Treasure in heaven. Man, what a trade-off. But if we're not careful, we can twist scripture and begin to think Jesus doesn't want the best for us. It isn't that Jesus is trying to strip us of all pleasure. Jesus is not subtractive. He's additive, man. He offers us all the satisfaction of, guess what? Eternal treasure. This is but a moment in life. That is eternal. Man, following Jesus is easy for us when life is running smooth, right? But our true commitment to Jesus Christ is revealed during our trials. And Jesus assures us that trials will come to his followers in John 16, 33. Discipleship demands sacrifice, and Jesus never hid that cost, did he? In Luke uh, 9, 57 through 62, there's three people that seemed willing to follow Jesus. And when Jesus started questioning them a little further, uh, their commitment was a little bit half-hearted at best, and they failed to count the cost of following him. None was willing to take up his cross and crucify it upon his own interest. And therefore, Jesus did what may be appeared to just dissuade him. How different from the typical gospel presentation that we give to people. How many people would respond to an altar call that went, Come, follow Jesus, and you may face the loss of friends and family and reputation and career and possibly even your life? I think the number of false converts would likely decrease. Amen? But such a call is what Jesus meant when he said, Take up your cross and follow me. I wonder if you're ready to take up your cross if you consider these questions. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing some of your closest friends? Been there, done that. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing some of your family members? Been there, done that. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means the loss of your reputation or losing your job or losing your very life? Now, some places in the world, these consequences are a daily reality. But notice the questions are phrased, are you willing? Following Jesus doesn't necessarily mean all these things are going to happen to you, but are you willing to take up your cross? If there comes a point in your life where you're faced with a choice, Jesus or the comforts of this life, which one are you going to choose? It's easy for us to say things until we actually get into this stuff. Only if you are willing to take up your cross may you be called his disciple. Luke 14, 27. 
But man, the reward is worth the price. Jesus followed this call of death to self. Take up your cross and follow me with the gift of life in Christ. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. And now the second part of this says, and I will make you. Who will make you? Again, Jesus, not anyone or anything else. Not the pastor's teachings or his sermons, not books or videos or 10-part DVD series. Yeah, they can aid you and assist you, but it's the Bible that's the Holy Spirit's working in us that makes us. Jesus Christ is the only one that can make you. Okay, In Matthew 4, 9, after Jesus told the fishermen to follow him, he also told them, I'm going to change you. His goal was to draw people to himself and teach them to be like him. Jesus was going to address their beliefs, their attitudes, their actions as he shaped them into messengers who would deliver the good news to the world. He knew that if these men reflected to others who he truly was, many people would come to him. The Holy Spirit is our great internal change agent. What does he do and how does it work? Well, According to Paul, it involves what? A renewing of the mind. That's Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. And it produces attributes of Jesus in us. What is that? Well, that's the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. John 15, 1 through 8 is the perfect example of producing fruit in Jesus Christ. Because guess what? Now that we're his, we are now a new creation in Christ. We are a whole new person, born again, given a new heart, and we're made anew. You know, I, I've heard uh, questions asked and been asked to me in my life. If you ever wanted to start your life over again and still retain the knowledge you have now, guess what? You can do that. Just come to know Jesus Christ and accept him as the Lord and Savior in your life. And he will make you a new man, brand new. And how about this last part? Fishers of men. A disciple is committed to the mission of Christ. The cause of Christ is what? People. Now that we know Christ, now that Christ has rulership over our life, we are now fishers of men. We spend time with Jesus, his Holy Spirit resides in us, and we can't help but care about what he cares about. Man, when we spend time with the creator of reality, we start seeing things differently. We start to care about what really matters in life, and our stuff starts meaning a whole lot less. And one of the things I heard in my early days of, of uh, being new in Christ was that about at that time, and that was 13 years ago, 150,000 people, 150, people die Most of those people don't know Jesus Christ, and they are going to be lost for eternity, eternity in outer darkness if they don't come to know the Lord Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And when we truly grasp this reality and we believe this reality, it should change the way that we think and we pray and we spend our time and our money. Because guess what? There's only two categories of people in this world, saved and unsaved. And when we know and we follow Jesus, we look at these people differently and we see, are they saved or unsaved? If they're unsaved, man, I don't want them to go where they're, they're headed. And reaching out is the key. The Great Commission is for all believers, not just certain people, not just for the pastors, not just for the evangelists. If you are a disciple, you are expected to share your faith. And so many people come up with so many excuses. Oh man, I'm too scared. This just isn't me. I'm not well versed in scriptures and I don't know enough to do that. Or you need to be friends with someone before you can share Jesus with them. That's called friendship evangelism. 
And that's the idea that we need to make friends before we have the right to witness to them. Guess what? Jesus did not ask for excuses. He said, do it. And remember, Jesus' teaching on the kingdom was his most taught subject brought up in 61 places in the New Testament. So, must have been pretty important, right? Let's take a look at Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19. All authority on heaven and earth have been given to me. Therefore, therefore what? Because all authority has been given to him, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Listen, man. I just came back from uh, another event that I spoke at in uh, Iowa. And uh, I get the opportunity to go down to Iowa at this particular Evangelical Free Church uh, one or two times a year for the last probably three or four years. And uh, every time, you know, I never post on Facebook and, and, and say too much about, oh, a bunch of people came to know Christ because I don't know. I mean, it's, it's one thing to, to, to say that they made that decision. Uh, but some people just don't act on that decision. So it's not my, my place to say if someone truly got saved or not. Anyway, when we went down there this time, um, some people made that decision. Uh, but one in particular uh, for sure made that decision. And he came and talked to me. And <clears throat> he was angry at God at the time. And I've been angry at God for years because of the circumstances in his life. And uh, he really latched on to the testimony that I had that him and I went through some of the same things in life, the abuse of our fathers and drugs and alcohol and, and our family members hating on us and wanting nothing to do with us. Um, so we had a really good talk after service and uh, we ended up um, uh, praying with this guy to accept Christ in his life. So there's nothing, if you're a Christ follower and you haven't been out making disciples, you haven't been out evangelizing to people and, and spreading the gospel like we're called to do, like we're commanded to do. It's not a request, it's a command. Man, if you've never done that, you don't know the joy it brings to your heart of seeing someone coming to know Jesus Christ for the first time in their life. There's nothing like it. And those of you who have been on that end of the fence, you know what I'm talking about. And I really, truly believe that one day when we hear that well done, good and faithful servant, we're going to meet these people or Jesus is going to introduce these people um, that are up there as a result of him using us to share his gospel. So God bless you all. I hope to see you next time. And remember, I love you, but Jesus loves you more. Who's right? Who's right? He's right. Right on radio. Right on radio.